listening to the Burke United Methodist Church Sermon Series, available at burke-umc.org. This is Trinity Sunday. Um, the time when the church comes together and begins to put together Father, Son, and Holy Spirit who make up the Trinity. Um, it's not something that a lot of your friends will know of if you're Baptist or Pentecostal. They don't, they don't know, understand what we mean by Trinity Sunday. And this is something for mainline churches and um, not necessarily fundamentalist churches. But what we're doing on Trinity Sunday, Jason, is that we kick off the idea of what I still refer to as Kingdom Tide. That there is a Christmas Tide, the days after Christmas. There's an Easter Tide, the days after uh, Easter. And so we don't have a day after, days after Trinity other than Kingdom Tide. And that's a time when everything should come to fruition. Is we have God as Father, we have God as Son, we have God as Holy Spirit. And you put those together, and that's where the term Kingdom Tide comes up with. We come up with that. Let me say that that is not a real popular term. So they've gone back to using the word ordinary time. Uh, my idea of ordinary time, as far as God Almighty is concerned, there is no ordinary time. And that's the reason I stay with Kingdom Tide. We need to preach the kingdom. We need to grow the kingdom. And that's the idea behind, uh, behind Kingdom Tide. The Old Testament reading is important because I suppose it, it points toward God as Father. But we, both, we all know uh, that New Testament, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, full of grace and truth. And we, all, we know the Word was with God, the Word was God. All things were made by Him that were made. So it's hard to find a verse of Scripture where it is in the Old Testament, where it is just speaking of God as Father, because in all of it is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But let's look at this. Uh, in the year that uh, King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on the throne, high and lofty, and the hem of his robe filled the temple. Seraphs were in attendance above him, each had six wings, two covering their faces, two covering their feet, and uh, with two they flew. And they called out one to the other, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. The pivots on the threshold shook as the voices of those who called, and the house filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me. This is Isaiah speaking. I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people with unclean lips. Yet my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphs flew at me, holding a live coal that had been taken from the altar with a pair of tongs. The seraph touched my mouth with it and said, 
Now that this has touched your lips, your guilt has departed from you. Your sin is blotted out. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, Here I am. Send me. This is, as it said, in the year of King Uzziah's death, which would have been around 740 B.C. Uzziah was a successful king of Israel. He went wrong when he was only 16 years old and he became king. His accomplishments were he was able to take wetlands, deserts, and all of that through water conservation and irrigation. He was able to bring life back to those, uh, to the wastelands. Uh, And he rebuilt the wall uh, where it needed to be rebuilt. He was successful in battle as much as King David was successful uh, in, in battle. And he gained settlements uh, to the west of Israel. He was known for his successfulness. It was known that he was a success because of Yahweh, because of God Almighty. One thing went led to another with Uzziah, and I guess he just got too big for his britches so to speak. He went to the temple and went to the altar, which he was not supposed to do. This is the Holy of Holies type thing. And he wanted to burn incense. The priest told him, they didn't care who he was, he could not burn incense in the the tabernacle. And God sided with the priest And so Uzziah died from uh, leprosy. Whether you want to say God gave leprosy on him at that time, Scripture does not really say. But um, the idea is that Uzziah got too big for his breeches. Leadership sort of went to his head. And while he did wonderful, wonderful things, for Israel, uh, I guess he knew he had done wonderful things for Israel, and maybe he did not give uh, God the glory or the credit for it. I don't know. I think there is a lesson to be learned here. Any time that in life that we get so sure of ourselves, so sure of what we do, uh, to do it our way, etc., 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 to get the job done, we have to be careful because there are other ways uh, of doing different things. Isaiah records looking up and seeing the angels worshiping God and saying, as, as I've already read, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. I want you to picture God sitting on his throne. Isaiah never saw God's face. All he saw was the grandness of the robe 
that uh, the hem of the robe filled uh, the temple. And that was all that Isaiah was able to, to see. But when you're in the presence of something very big, so much bigger than you are, and grander than you are, it makes you feel what? Small. Or just happy to be there. Happy to have been able uh, to see. And it occurs to Isaiah that he's not anything that he's supposed to be. He had unclean lips, etc., whatever else, uh, problems that he had. And God took that away. And the, through the angel who brought the coal uh, with the tongs and touched it to his mouth, anyway, it cleansed Isaiah. And it blotted out all of his sin. Well, look at us today. And what we go through as a cleansing process is something that God Almighty blots out all of our sins today. When you sit back and think of the grandness, the greatness of God Almighty and how big God is, it puts us in our place. It's not a bragging point for us, but it's a bragging point for God all, Almighty. And he does for Isaiah what he will later do uh, in the life of whom? Jesus Christ. Israel has not been very pleasing to God in this time. And God has something against Israel. Isaiah is called to be a prophet. Isaiah is called to be a prophet to go and listen to Israel to give them their comings up and so to speak, also to give them hope. Now, we know in retrospect the stories. And we know in retrospect how God is working and how God does work. The people of Israel had no retrospect. They had listened to God. God had moved them from Egypt, etc., etc., touched base with them from time to time. But as far as knowing anything else that was going to happen, uh, Israel was like Nicodemus, who we'll get to in a little bit in the book of John. Israel was like Nicodemus. They should have known everything, but yet they knew Probably absolutely nothing. So Isaiah is called to tell Israel the following, and this is from Isaiah, the sixth chapter. It picks up what we've already read, and I want to look at it. It's Isaiah chapter 6, the ninth through the 13th verse. Do you remember when scripture was printed on onion paper? Real thin paper. It was so hard to get page after page. Well, that's about the way this Bible is. It's hard to get page 
So Isaiah begins with, we'll begin with the ninth verse, the sixth chapter, the ninth verse. And God says to Isaiah, go and tell these people. He didn't say go and tell my chosen ones. He said go and tell these people, keep on hearing but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull. Make their ears heavy and shut their eyes, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and return and be healed. Then I said, Lord, how long? And this is Isaiah asking, how long is this going to go on? And God answers, until the cities are laid waste without inhabitants, the houses are without a man, the land is utterly desolate, the Lord has removed men far away, and the forsaken places are many in the midst of the land, but yet a tenth will be in it, a tenth, T-E-N-T-H, and will return for his consuming Whose stump remains when it is cut down, so the holy seed shall be his stump. That's the idea that God is going to send himself, or that Jesus Christ uh, will be here. But that's not going to happen for 350 years. Look how many generations of people that is. Speak of living by faith going this long and not hearing from God Almighty, or going that long and hearing from time to time from Jose, from Amos, uh, just for short periods uh, of, time, of time. Again, we see everything retrospectively because we had Jesus Christ in our hearts. These people, um, these people did not know. And it was hard for them to keep faith, to understand God when they could not hear him. They could not see him. Isaiah was the one that was able to look into heaven and get a glimpse of God Almighty or of his robe. And Israel comes out of all of this as being devastated because they did not know the whole story you and I do know the story. The last verse, uh, speaking of the stump, is a remnant. God had always said on his chosen people, I might do this, this, and this, but I will always keep a remnant. Jesus Christ here, being Jewish, is the remnant. And the stump will remain until the stump grows into a tree again some 350 years down the road and it will be the ministry of, of Jesus Christ. The question is that we learn lessons from King Uzziah not to take ourselves too seriously. And then Judah and Israel, they had had a fallen out. Um, Judah's clansmen, if you want to call them that, 
had a problem with the way Israel had kept up with its money. And so that's the reason you have the kingdom of Israel and then you had the northern kingdom um, as well. So there was a lot of pride involved. Think about the trouble in your life when you've had pride. And it may have gotten just a little bit out of hand. Or at a time in your life when you are not in tune with God as you should be. And the times that we're not in tune with God, but we think that we are. That is dangerous. We think everything is fine. It's all, all right. But that can be dangerous. The idea is that we must always be pleasing to God Almighty. Nicodemus could learn a lot if you look in John, the third chapter. He could learn a lot from this, uh, his pride. And he, he said, the scripture says, There was a Pharisee named Nicodemus, a leader of the Jews. He came to Jesus by night, and he said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do apart from the presence of God. And Jesus answered him and said, very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God without being born from above. So I guess we would say, since Isaiah had seen into the portals of heaven, so to speak, that he had been at that time born uh, from above by responding to God, who shall we send? And him saying, here I am, uh, send me. How can anyone, Nicodemus says, how can anyone be born after having grown old? Can one enter a second time into the womb, the mother's womb, and be born? And Jesus answered, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and of spirit. What, of the, what is born of flesh is flesh, and what is born of spirit is spirit. Do not be astonished that I say this to you. You must be born from above. The wind blows where it chooses, and you hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered him, Are you a teacher of Israel? Yet you do not know, you don't understand these things. The idea is, and what I have said, is Nicodemus is a religious person. But Nicodemus is an unfulfilled person. He doesn't understand his purpose in life. Evidently he has no goals as far as a spiritual life is concerned. He is, it is said that Nicodemus is not a teacher, but Nicodemus is the teacher. In other words, he was thought highly of because of, I suppose, his knowledge, but his knowledge never led to any type of wisdom. He is unfulfilled because he thought he knew. Or we could say, Sue, he's unfulfilled just because he thought. Period. 
but uh, he was he was wrong. If you remember, there was something said about it at the time, and I don't know when it was, but I do remember a little a uh, little bit of it. Chief Justice Rehnquist from the Supreme Court uh, was knowledgeable. He was like Nicodemus in the sense that he was knowledgeable concerning the law, and he had a robe to prove it. Uh, around his sleeves were not black bands for his PhD. He had the black bands taken off and had gold ones put on. He was a very proud individual, I suppose, Joe, of the knowledge uh, of the knowledge that that he had. Um, he knew what he was about, I suppose. Nicodemus did not know what he was about. I do remember watching, I pay attention to robes because ministers in our tradition, in our church, wear robes from time to time. And I remember my dad putting on his robe. My dad was dean at Ole Miss. I remember him putting on his PhD robe it was nothing but just cloth and felt uh, all over the place. And uh, he would hand out uh, graduation uh, diplomas to, uh, to the graduating class. And he always seemed to me, I might say this, Arlene, just because he's my dad. Arlene, just because he's my dad. But I think he had it all together. And... Uh, Nicodemus never could quite get it um, all together. He had all kinds of power, all kinds of knowledge, but he never had any spiritual understanding. Born from above and nothing to him. Jesus says, you mean that you're a leader of all of these people and you don't know these basic things? That's a cut. You mean you do this, this, and this? You have the road for this, this, and this? And still, my people are like sheep without a shepherd that you've done nothing for them. So I would say, if you consider yourself a leader, then be very careful. Power can be seductive. Uh, even Jesus went to be tempted at the beginning of his ministry, went to be tempted uh, for power in the wilderness. The Bible says he went to be tempted. If he wasn't tempted to be seduced by power, it wouldn't have been called temptation. It would have been called something else. If you offer someone something that you do not want, if, if they offer to you something that you do not want, then there's no temptation there. But the idea that Scripture says that Jesus was tempted meant it was some kind of deal for Jesus to enter into temptation, but then at, in the end to be able to stay true to God. Nicodemus, for all his power, did not have peace of mind. Anything ever bother you from time to time? You just have a bad day or a tough week or something happens and it may be difficult to sleep 
uh, at nine. All of this was going on with Nicodemus. He would say, I'm a powerful person, Master, but I don't quite get it. I do not quite understand. And Jesus says, you must be born from above. The idea of church, it's easy to get caught up in the organization of the church. Uh, that we can, organizing the church, we can uh, lose touch with the reality of God Almighty. Our intellect and our creeds, we know our creeds, the different affirmations uh, of faith, and we can't apply them to our lives, to our living. We can learn the Bible front to back, but we can also, we can fail to be shaped by the Bible. Did Nicodemus ever come to saving uh, faith in Christ? Scripture doesn't tell us he was around and he did carry uh, burial incense and different things when Jesus uh, was going to be was going to be buried. The idea is that we hope that Nicodemus was able to look in the eyes of Jesus Christ. We hope people today, you and me alike, are able to look into the eyes of Jesus Christ. Let me share this. One of the best photographs from World War II, I'm told, is a photo of King George VI, that is Elizabeth II's uh, father. He's inspecting a bombed out section of London. He stops and talks with a little boy, and uh, the king is bending down on the knee and looking directly into the face of the child, and even though it's, it is a profile shot, uh, there's still a compassion on uh, George VI's uh, face. And the idea is for him to do that and look into the eyes of a child. If the child lived a hundred more years, he would never forget the experience that he had of being able to look at George VI right in the eye. I would suggest that once we truly look into the eye of Jesus Christ, it's difficult to turn away. If you don't believe me, then we can ask people like Mary Magdalene. Yes, I was this, this, and this, and Jesus came along, looked in my eyes, I looked in his eyes, and I became a pure woman. Matthew says, I looked into his face, into his eyes, and I became an honest man. Paul, Paul says that when I met Jesus, my life changed. My zeal for the law became the zeal for love. Peter, Peter changed. Yes, I changed, says Peter, after I met Jesus, I had to wrestle with my prejudices against the Gentiles. The idea is that we're broken people. We are broken men and women. Our need is to be healed, is to be changed, is to be repaired, is to be forgiven. The true question this morning is not 
what Nicodemus is searching for. But the true question is, what are we searching for as people of God? In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Thank you for listening to the Burke United Methodist Church Sermon Series, available at burke-umc.org.